Good morning. It's good to be together. So throughout the course of this month, we're kicking off a new series looking at worship, which is exciting. It's like the worship pastor's dream. We get to talk about worship. Um, and we're doing it this whole month, which is brilliant. And there's, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to take some time to understand one particular element within worship, which is our gathered expression of worship. And in one sense, that might feel like a bit of a narrow emphasis, because there are lots of ways that we can define worship, isn't there? And there are lots of ways in which our life reflects lives of worship. But while it's narrow in one sense, I think how we understand worship as a gathered body, as, as, as we gather to sing and, and set our attention on God, actually how we understand that ripples out then to our understanding of worship in the rest of our lives. It, it shapes the way that we then live lives of worship. It's a great definition of what I mean when I'm talking about gathered worship. Um, is given to us by Matt Redman, and it says this, the people of God in the presence of God, it should appear here, pouring out the praises of God. I think it's a great description. Let's say it together, ready? The people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. So that's the definition we're kind of working from through the course of this month as we reflect on it more. And over each week, we'll look at different elements of what it looks like for us to come together to worship. Many of us, as soon as I've said this, will immediately think, well, you know, I've got quite strong opinions about what worship should look like on a Sunday. Um, Often that can be things around the styles of worship, whether we'd be singing new songs or old songs, whether we're singing theological truths or simple choruses, whatever it might be. I'm just going to read a little excerpt from an article that was written by someone who has strong opinions about worship music. Here we go. The writer said this. There are several reasons for opposing new worship music. One, it's too new. Two, it's often worldly, even blasphemous. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as a more established style. Because there are so many new songs, you can't learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than on godly lyrics. This new music creates disturbances, making people act indecently and disorderly. The preceding generation got along without it. It's a money-making scam, and some of these new music upstarts are lewd and loose. So there you go, that's one opinion. And you might be thinking that's a a modern contemporary attack on worship, but actually it was written in 1723. (laughs) And it was critiquing the hymn writer Isaac Watts, who wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, (laughs) which I think we'd all agree is a brilliant hymn. (laughs) And so with all that to say, stylistic preferences have featured in the church for centuries. And actually, our goal this month isn't really to get into that, because if anything, that's secondary. We want to get right to the heart of the matter, to the heart of worship, to recapture our vision for worship together. The people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. You see, when you look throughout history and throughout the pages of Scripture, you see that right from the start of God's people through to the early church, sung worship, worshiping together, was a core part of their identity. When you look at Exodus and the first kind of key movement of Israel as, as the Israelites were saved from slavery in Egypt, the first response is to worship, Exodus 15. They worship God together. And then we begin to see that worship is the proper and right way to enter into God's presence. We see that worship literally causes the foundations of walls to crumble. We see that worship um, overthrows vast armies. And we see that worship is the extravagant response of a people who know and experience the love of God. 
And there are so many passages that I could read to talk about this, but I'm just going to focus in on one this morning. It's Ephesians 5 from verses 18 through 20. Why don't you read with me together? So Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, and it should appear behind me here as well. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just a short little passage, and it's right in the middle of two texts in Ephesians. So before it, we have this vision for what it looks like to live a life pursuing the way of Christ. And at the other side of it, we have an analogy of what it looks like to love one another well, using marriage as an example. And in the middle, we have this tiny little section of scripture, and it's so short that you could easily skip over it in the course of reading a chapter. But I think it really is actually a gift to us as we consider what worship looks like as we come together. And the first thing that I think it teaches us is that spirit-filled worship is central to the life of the church. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. What is one of the first conversations that you might have with someone, a colleague at work or someone that you're uh, studying with or someone at the school gates? What's the first thing that you, you might have a conversation about at the start of a new week? What were you up to at the weekend, right? So what did you get up to this weekend? And if I'm asking a question, often the response I would have expected to hear, as I often did hear, was, uh, you know, a really well Saturday night out drinking. Um, I can't really remember very much of it. And then they would ask me what I was doing, and I'd say, obviously, obviously that's not my colleagues at Central, and none of them are doing that. But <laughs> the previous jobs. And then um, they'd ask me the question, and in my head I'd be thinking, how do I make playing Settlers of Catan on Saturday night sound more cool? <laughs> mm. But, you know, drinking is actually quite a big part of Scottish culture. We're, we're aware of that, right? And I think the reason why is that it taps into something that's wired into us as humans. So just let me just explain. We're designed to be in community with one another, right? To know one another and be fully known. But I think because of sin, there's something which is distorted in us, which means that there's a barrier between us and others. And sometimes we don't really know how to fully connect well with other people. And the, the reason why we can end up going towards drinks, having too much to drink, or having too much to drink when you're on a meal, going out on a night out, is kind of a way of compensating for that, I think. Because in one way, having too much to drink, it does something to that barrier. It kind of lowers the barrier. It re relaxes us. It maybe creates a bit of openness in us towards other people. Which is why I'm sure many people are drawn towards that as kind of a center point of being with others. Well, Paul points at this example because there's also a danger that comes with drinking too much together in community. And he uses the word debauchery, which has lots of modern connotations. But when you look at the word, actually, the, the word is kind of the exact opposite to the word that the New Testament uses to describe salvation, which means healing and wholeness. And so, in a sense, what he's saying is that while this might be a temptation for us to, to use alcohol to try and connect, what it can do when we drink too much is the opposite of wholeness. It can create fragmentation in us. It can disconnect us from ourselves and cause destruction in a relationship with others. And Paul here is saying, rather than doing that because it doesn't work in the way that you want it to, 
Here is a much better way of knowing others and being known. And there's a gift that is offered to us as we come together, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to actually really deeply know one another as we are. The Holy Spirit is the one who turns this kind of random group of people in the Central Hall into a church family, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who calls out that we are children of God and also gives us the eyes to see that those around us are also known and loved as dear children of God. So what has that got to do with worship? Well, actually, the same sentence continues. He doesn't stop the sentence there into verse 19. So he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And so what is the natural activity of God's people as they're filled with the Spirit? It's to sing. <laughs> it's quite specific. To worship together in all styles, personal songs, theological truth about who God is, and in spontaneous response as we're aware of God working amongst us. So all that to say, worship, gathered worship, singing, is a core part of the identity of us being church family together. There's a couple called John and Elaine Beckman, and they were missionaries in the mid-1900s, and they went to the Chol Indians in Mexico to share the love of Jesus with them. And over the course of 25 years, they saw 12,000 people come to know Jesus, which is amazing, isn't it? But that, that tribe and that community, they, they didn't sing. It wasn't part of their culture. They didn't even have a word for singing at the point where they first met them. But what they found was that over the course of the time that they were with them, as people came to know and encounter the love of Jesus, the natural response that they wanted to do was to sing. In fact, so much so that they started to, they created a word for singing. And they began to sing so often and so regularly, it became known as the singing tribe to those who lived around them. Which is amazing, isn't it? I think it reflects something of a truth of what it means for us to be the people of God. That worship, corporate worship, singing to God is a natural response of the people of God as we encounter and experience him. And the reason why I wanted to home in on this as the first point was because I think it's really important for us to be aware of it, particularly in the season that we're in just now. Because in 2020, for the first time in recorded history, the gathered church was silenced. Never before has it been the case that we no longer were able to sing together as church as we gathered. And, you know, we did find alternative ways of being a scattered church that worshipped, and we learned so much, I think, in these last few years by doing that. But I think I wanted to name that we also lost something in that time. It cost us not to be together. And I'm sure all of us ex noticed that and experienced that and were aware of that. We grieved not being together, not being able to worship in the same space. And it's only, it's only now, just coming up for just over two months, since we were able to do that together again without restriction. It's not very long, is it? It's two full years where we couldn't. And the danger that I could see from that is that over the course of that time, because we weren't doing it regularly together, that our value for worshipping together might have lowered. Potentially even our priorities might have subtly shifted as we were responding to the environment that we were in. Because while we couldn't come together and worship, there were other things that we could do to still be the gathered church together. And that was often quite practical things, wasn't it? In the last few years, most of what we did was practically outworked as we gave and served and loved people of this city, which 
you know, it's amazing, and I don't want us to undo any of the learning from these last few years. But as we come to the summer with time to pause, and maybe even time to kind of do a bit of deeper reflection in the last few years, I do wonder whether it's a good time for us to take stock and maybe to be asking the question, have we maybe accidentally even begun to prioritize our activity for God over our adoration of God? Have we begun to prioritize our activity for God over our adoration of God? Have we given more attention to our work, to our mission over God's majesty? And if that's true, which I think it can be easily for all of us, and I'm sure is true for me lots of times as well, I wonder that this morning that God might be inviting us to kind of recenter ourselves, recenter our identity as the worshiping people of God. Because it's worship that fuels us as we go into the city. It's worship that sustains us as we pursue a life following Jesus. A.W. Tozer, the theologian and pastor, he says it like this. I'm going to quote him lots because he talks about worship and it's great. He says, I am of the opinion that we should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned the meaning and the delight of worshiping him. This summer, one of the best things we could do is to delight in and worship Jesus, both as we come together and also in the rhythms of meeting as community from each week. Spirit-filled worship is right at the center of the life of the church. The second thing that we learn from this passage is that worship unites us as community. It's interesting that I think something that we've been shaped by as Western kind of contemporary church in the last few decades is this idea that gathered worship is actually about an individual private encounter with God, like meeting with God on your own, right? And you can see it more explicitly in some settings than others, but when we close the blinds and, and turn off all the lights and turn everyone towards one direction and have the music too loud that you can't hear people around you, what that says is that actually, even though we're in a room with other people, actually we're here on our own with God, doing our own thing individually. Right? That can be our experience. It can even be the things that I naturally tend towards when I come together. It's like, what am I going to get or how am I going to experience God on my own? But this passage actually completely reframes that. It says that worship isn't just an individual activity that we do. We're not in a silo. We're not on our own in a room filled with other people also on their own in a room with God. When we're singing to God, we're also singing to one another. Hymns, psalms, songs in the Spirit. We remind each other as we gather together the truth of who God is and who we are. And so when you sing, I just wanted to remind us that we're not just doing it for God, we're also doing it for one another. We're singing over each other, we're reminding each other of who God is and of who we are. And it's interesting because I think we've actually, we've named that last, a, a number of times in the last few months on Sundays. Because sometimes when we're singing songs, some of the lyrics of songs are actually quite hard to sing. They're quite challenging. Particularly if you individually feel like you can't quite relate to the words that are on the screen in front of you. That you feel like it's hard to sing about God being good with your own circumstances. And the beauty of Gather Church in amongst that is that while you might find it hard to sing, there's a room full of people who are declaring it to be true in their lives as well. And so we can receive that as you come together. And also know that your voice matters. As you sing out what it means for you to, that God is faithful, you're singing it and reminding the person beside you 
that that's true in their life too, even when they can't experience it there and then. Worship is us coming together as community. It's reminding ourselves of who God is and singing over each other. And equally, as Tamsin was saying earlier, it's times where we come together and lament, where we articulate with words what some people find hard to put into words. So even if our personal circumstances are actually quite comfortable, we collectively rejoice, declare the faithfulness of God, and mourn and reflect on the things that are harder. That's what it means for us to be a worshipping community together. And so I just wanted to take this opportunity to ask because it took me six years to sneak in a worship series on a Sunday, so I might not get a chance again to ask this very often. But if you don't, if worship isn't, if you're part of a community and worship isn't part of the rhythm of your gathering together as community, then the question is, that well, why not? Why, why not? I'm allowed to ask that because I'm the worship pastor. Why not? Why aren't you worshipping? <laughs> I think the most common reason is because it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? Because you can hear each other. We don't all have amazing professional voices like Sam Ray or Heather Boji. But I think there's something really important about us recapturing that. I remember there's a community that I was a part of a long while ago when I lived in Aberdeen. And the community leader decided to lead worship rather than asking me because I was as part of a small church plant and I was leading pretty much every Sunday. And the community leader, he knew his four Christian chords, so he could play those chords well. Um, but beyond that, like, I mean, it, wasn't sound, it didn't sound amazing. It wasn't, the musicality wasn't great. And yet because he persevered in pursuing Jesus and leading us into that space, there's some of the most profound experiences of worship that I've been part of, and it's still really precious memories for me as I was led and worshipped with that small group of people in a room. And so can I just encourage us? I think there's something there when we persevere, when we together choose to turn our face towards Jesus, even if it doesn't, doesn't sound that tuneful, even if it's not as, as great as the band sounded this morning, I think that God is present with us and meets with us as we choose to persevere and push through. And if you want some help to get started, I know those four Christian chords. I'd be happy to teach them to you. <laughs> Just drop me an email, zach at centralchurch.co.uk. So, what we said so far, worship is central to the life of a community. Worship unites us, it draws us together. And the next thing it says, verse, in still in verse 19, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So the third point is worship connects us head and heart to the presence of God. One of the gifts of music and worship is that it opens us up, I think, at a deeper level to the presence of God. It makes us more aware of what's going on around us. It has a way of connecting what we, we know to be true intellectually with what we believe and know in our hearts. You know, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman about worship, what, what worship will look like and does currently look like. And he says that while right now there might be specific locations for worship and rituals to come into the presence of God, there will be a time, talking about us as a people of God, there will be a time when that won't matter anymore. Instead, these people will worship in spirit and in truth. And we need both. We need to worship in spirit and in truth. We need to worship in truth. We need to know who God is. We need to spend our lives pursuing a deeper and personal understanding of who Jesus is, of the creator God, the God who is with us and working around us. Our faith can and should be robust. And I just want to show a, a terrible meme 
to give an example of that, here you go. Takes a little while to read. Anyone, anyone, got, everyone finished reading it yet? <laughs> I think all of us have a responsibility to, to own our faith, to seek to discover more about who God is, not just to take it for granted, but to really seek to worship God in truth. Right? The theologian N.T. Wright, at one point, he critiqued the bridge of a well-known worship song that we sing, and I still want us to continue to sing. It's um, Here I Am to Worship. And he, the, he critiques the bridge which says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And what he says is, the point is that while it's true that we might never know the full extent of what was going on there, the point for us as Christians is that it, Jesus invites us still to find out, to discover more about the work that he's done, to know it in depth, to spend our lives pursuing an understanding of who he is and the work he's done for us. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't sing that song, Here I Am to Worship, and I actually think that a bridge like that is a helpful thing. It's sometimes for us to recognize that we can't understand everything. There are things which are outside of our understanding and control. But the point I'm trying to make is that we don't switch off our minds in worship. We worship God in truth. We choose to open up to wonder afresh at who God is and the work that he's doing around us. So we worship in truth, and then we worship in spirit. Worshipping with our very being, our heart connecting to the heart of God. You know, that's not, that's not a massively groundbreaking thing to say because as with any relationship, there is an, em- an emotional level at which we connect with people around us, isn't it? With our parents, with our siblings, with our partners. We don't, I, well, I hope we don't say something like this, you know, mother, after a careful consideration, I have determined that my emotive state towards you is positive. <laughs> you don't say that, right? We engage emotionally. You would say something more like, I love you. I hope you would anyway. (laughs) Worship through music has a way of opening up us at an emotional level towards God. It connects us head and heart to the presence of God. It creates space for us to share with depth, with intimacy. And so whatever way you naturally tend towards, whether it's towards thinking or feeling, whether it's towards head or heart, we need both. Both are what we need. So here's Tozer again, another quote from Tozer, which is great. We cannot worship in the spirit alone, for the spirit without truth is helpless. We cannot worship in truth alone, for that would be theology without fire. Worship must be in spirit and in truth which is really good, isn't it? I'm going to read it again. We cannot worship in the spirit alone, for the spirit without truth is helpless. We cannot worship in truth alone, for that would be theology without fire. Worship must be in spirit and in truth. And so we find so far in this short passage that worship is central to the life of our church. Worship unites us as community. Worship connects us at head and heart level to God. And lastly, worship shifts our perspective. Verse 20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to suggest, isn't it? Really? Like always giving thanks? I don't think that this passage is saying that we need to find that really tenuous things to be thankful for when things are challenging. Like, well, I, I suppose I should thank God for this bar of chocolate, even though today's been really hard. <laughs> Do you know, I don't necessarily think that, though, though there is something really important about practicing thankfulness. 
But instead, what I think Paul is saying is that worship has this way of reframing our lives, of restoring our lives in light of the work that God is doing, in light of the work that Jesus has done. So when we gather and worship together, we don't brush our stuff under the carpet. We don't pretend like everything is okay. But at the same time, worship shifts the spotlight. It takes it away from ourselves and puts it more onto Jesus. As we reflect on the person of Jesus and thank God for all of the work that he's done throughout history, as we recognize again that we are a people who are called and named and saved and redeemed, as we recognize that we have an eternal future with him, and as we know that he is at work here and now amongst us as church family, all of that, it has a way of drawing us into God's presence, of redirecting our attention towards him, and I think also sparking hope in us again. Let me just finish with my last Tozer quote. He says this around this topic. Something wonderful and miraculous and life-changing takes place within the human soul when Jesus Christ is invited in to take his rightful place. Worship turns the spotlight of our lives towards Jesus. And so now as we take some time to respond together in worship, as the people of God, in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God, can I just encourage us, let's, let's not take this for granted. Let's not just get back into the, the habit of doing this because it's something we do each week. But let's choose to expect that God is here, uniting us together as community, drawing us head and heart into his presence, and setting our attention on him, the work that he's doing and has done. Why don't you stand with me for Abel? And I'll pray as the band comes up. Father God, I thank you. I want to take a moment firstly to thank you just for our church family, for the gift of our church being together. We choose not to take that for granted to recognize that we're not here on our own, but to, together we are here to pursue and set our attention on you. And thank you for the gift of worship, that we have this space where we can set our attention fully on you, where we can, we can re redirect our lives fully towards you, and where we can expect, because you promised to meet with us, that you are here, that you want to speak to us, that you're present. And I ask that you be doing a work in us this summer, that you would re reignite our passion for you, our passion to worship you, to adore you, that it would be the fuel that, that enables us to continue living lives for you, that it would sustain us and that we would see it as our goal. Help us to live lives more and more of worship. And I ask now, even as we take this time to respond together in worship, would you be present with us? Would you give us a bigger and better perspective of you, of who we are, and of what it is we're doing as we come together to worship you?